Hi, it's Alexa, and this is Savage Lifecast, because in a world full of chaos, loving yourself is a savage act. We're here to create conscious conversations around all the goods, all the important stuff, all the yummy stuff, life, love, spirituality, business. So let's all take a deep breath. And get ready to pause, to breathe, and to savor it all. Let's go. Gorgeous Kate Bass, thank you so much for being on Savage Lifecast today. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, My love, you and I have been friends for, I don't know, what, 15 years? I mean, I have, yes, something like that. Something like that. Something absurd like that. More like about half of our lives. Yeah. Sensible. Um, You are truly such a gift to this planet. You're such a gift to me, the way that you show up as a friend, but also the way that you show up as a teacher, the way that you show up as a as a guide and you're so deeply connected. You're so, uh, you're one of the most deeply spiritual people that I know. Um, and what you share is really profound. So I wanted to have you on the podcast today, um, to tell your story and share with us what you do and what you're about. So talk to us. What do you do, Dole? (laughs) Well, first of all, I feel the same way about you, Alexa. Thanks mama. Um, what I do Well, I mean, that's a funny question. I think about this every day. (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, I'm a singer, first and foremost. I'm a musician. And uh, I'm also a songwriter. And in recent years, I have had the honor to take on the role of teacher. Yes. um, And very recently, workshop leader, which is kind of like a teacher, but it's also kind of a creative facilitator is how I like to think of it. Yes. Beautiful. Well, you know, it's funny because I was thinking of you and I was like, what does she do? And I'm like, she's a teacher. You are first and foremost, a singer songwriter, but even singer songwriters are actually our teachers. Like think about the ways in which we've communicated over centuries. It's like the messages through songs, the messages through art withstand the test of time. And those are our teachers. Like you're still a teacher, even as a singer songwriter. I love that. I love that because Joni Mitchell for sure has been a teacher of mine for Fuck most. Yeah, of life. dude, she's she was one of my like OG teachers. Like I was like fourteen years old, like crying in my dorm room at Interlock and Arts Academy, which by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we both went to, and like epic, epic, epic. Yeah, girl. So tell me about some of your most influential teachers. Who are they? What did they teach you? And what is that about? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, Joni Mitchell. Totally. Uh, I would say artistically also a poet named Walt Whitman. Yeah. Uh, who has, he wrote a book called Leaves of Grass, which actually a friend of mine that I had growing up who ended up not really being a friend anymore, but she introduced me to <laughs> this book. I mean, sorry, we've moved to different places. It's not that there's anything wrong with her. <laughs> You're like, she, she's not a friend. <laughs> no, I just haven't uh-huh. seen in a very long time. Um, But so she, she gave me this copy of Leaves of Grass and it kind of, um, not wanting to sound sacrilegious, but it felt like almost a Bible to me when I first read it. And it still remains that way to me every day. So he's one of my greatest teachers, even though I've met him and, um, teachers who I've met, uh, in terms of actual teachers, I have 
someone who's now a very dear friend of mine named Thomas Bagwell, who was my um, coach when I went to college in opera. And he became somewhere in between a mentor and a friend. And um, we've stayed in touch over many years. And he's inspired a lot in me. Beautiful. Um, you know, I mean, I could name all my teachers growing up and there were so many people that have affected my life in so many ways. I guess the last person who I would say is one of my greatest teachers in life um, is um, my mentor, Ada Citron, who has, she started out as kind of some somewhere between a therapist and a life coach. And now she's just become a mentor in every possible capacity in my life. And I'm very grateful for her. Well, it's amazing how it all interweaves, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you get on this path of like, intimacy, which I, I always describe as into me see, like we start to see ourselves, we start to learn about ourselves. And then these people kind of interweave their way into not just like, Oh, I'm going to get my help here. But it's like, no, they're, they're everywhere for us. Like, mm -hmm. it's all in everything. Um, these teachings that we learn from people like Ada, like from my teacher, Dr. Nikki Monti, it's the same thing. It's like, there it's, it's interwoven in every single thing. So they do, they become like, mentors rather than coaches. It's interesting. Yeah. It's so special when that happens. It's super special. Well, I, I feel like you are the queen of understatements um, because you also teach internationally. You've taught songwriting internationally. You've sung internationally. You've, you've sung everywhere from, you know, Carnegie Hall to, you know, Lincoln Center to wherever. Um, what, what do you think is your MO that you want to share with people when you are singing, when you're performing, when you're teaching, what is it that you feel inside of you that you want to convey to everyone else? It's interesting. Um, again, I've thought about this question a lot and being asked it on a podcast, it's like, Oh gosh, I, get, I better say this really concisely. Right. Don't even worry. But I, I feel that, um, I feel that, well, first of all, one, one reason why I like the, the medium of music, particularly of songwriting, so being able to sing lyrics through music, is that um, there are things about joy and love that I think are hard to express in just one way. Yes. And I consider myself very lucky as a musician that I can express all of the different colors of um, the experience of living that I've had through music. And the, the reason that I would call that my, in terms of my MO, like what's my mission statement as a, as a musician, as an artist, and even as a teacher, yeah. um, I think that there's something really important to, to understand in just really trying to be present in living our lives and experiencing life in a deep way. And that doesn't have to mean that we're always serious all the time. Yeah. Um, but, but that we are not checked out and, I see a lot in today's day and age that, um, you know, we're all attracted to the escapism of things like, you know, reality TV yeah. shows and, you know, Tiger King and stuff like that. There's something that's, <laughs> like, that's fun about that because it's, it's in some way a connection to our lives, but in, in other ways, it's totally not. Um, yeah. And I feel very strongly that it's not so much, I, you know, I, I understand that vulnerability is having its moment right now, the word vulnerability. Yeah. And I've been feeling pretty strongly that I like the word openness better because nice. I don't like the thought of, I, I like the idea of being open about things and expressing things to each other so that we can connect with each other and understand each other better and therefore amplify 
love and connection in a way that when I think of the word vulnerability, it feels a little bit more, maybe almost self-centered to me that I am making myself vulnerable to someone else Hmm. wanting to connect. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, there's always a kind of a fight for words and it's like, whatever resonates with you is what resonates with you. I mean, the word vulnerable means wound like where we're wounded. And so it's true. Like if that's, if that feels like unsafe or like a weird place for you to be creating from, then like open works for you. It's kind of like, I was talking about this in class the other day that like, I don't actually like the word forgiveness. I like compassion. Like forgiveness has this air of like, yeah, you fucked up. I forgive you. I'm up here. You're down there. I forgive you versus compassion is like, I see why you did that. Like, I understand where that came from. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's like a, there's like a taking off the hook in that, that sense to me, but then other people would fight and be like, no, the word forgiveness is important. So like vulnerable openness. Awesome. Like I totally get that. I totally right. get that. And, I, and you have outrageous openness in your, in your, in your music, your creation is your creativity is so, so astoundingly. And I, I would use the word vulnerable. Cause I think it, I think it is like you opened your chest and you were like, here's my heart. There it is on the page. Take it. Well, or it. I mean, I don't mean to imply that I'm against the word vulnerable. It's not so much that it's more that, you know, it, it, I've had some texts from people recently because I've been more open or vulnerable than ever online because here we are in quarantine and, yeah. you know, well, <laughs> yeah, might as well. Um, and I've had some people writing to me after, you know, live shows or whatever that I've done online being like, wow, I'm so impressed with how brave you are to share these things about your life. And I keep thinking like, it's, I don't really feel that I'm being brave. Um, actually there's someone, someone was talking about this recently, uh, on Instagram, someone I follow, um, who he was talking about this idea that, um, when we're being vulnerable, it's actually coming from a desire to connect with other people. We want other people to know us. Mm. There's, there's a certain desire for love and acceptance there in the act of vulnerability. And I think that there's a part of me that when I share all that stuff, first of all, I feel that the more I share, when I was a little kid, I, um, I was actually, I wasn't a compulsive liar, but I liked to make up tall tales about myself all the time. Like, huh. I remember telling people all kinds of like completely pointless lies and getting caught in them all the time. And it was really embarrassing. Yeah. Um, It wasn't like a thing that came from any dark place. It was just that I was this little kid living in a fantasy world all the time. And I always wanted to make my life, you know, grander than it was or something. Although there were stupid lies. Like I told a lady that I was allergic to chocolate once. And it was like, why would I even like, I don't even know why I would have made that up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And you really like my chocolate now. So it's a weird, I, love your chocolate. I just had it for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but so, fuck you lady, I am not allergic. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's hilarious. How interesting. I didn't know this about you. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it's not, it wasn't like a large, you know, imprint on my life or something, but it's interesting. Cause now that I'm older, I, f- I think I learned a lesson at some point, um, in my growing up that, uh, if I was just honest about everything, I never had to worry about getting caught in a lie or getting, you know, like I never had to worry about someone, um, judging me based on, on 
something that I miscommunicated if I was always just upfront and honest about it. Yeah. So you became a truth, truth teller based on your, your old habit. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I can't say that's the only reason why, but I don't know. I guess I just don't see it quite as courageous as a lot of other people do. Like, yes, I am leaving my heart open, but I feel I know so many people in my life. I have come close to so many people who yeah. keep their heart in this iron box and I don't see them being any happier or stronger than I am. And so it's it's just interesting to me. The concept of openness, I think, has actually made me stronger. I love this. And I think it's, it is the vulnerability queen, Brene Brown, who says like, bless the brokenhearted for they had the courage to love. And it's like the, the, oh, the, the brokenhearted are the strongest among, among us because they had the courage to love. And, mm-hmm. and I love that. And it's so real. I wonder if, if this, cause I'm actually really with you. Kate, like I'm really (laughs) like you and I are very similar in this way where I share shit all the time and people like, Oh my God, like you just told people about that dark, horrible thing that like I would have kept in the closet forever. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I did. And I don't know if it, where, let me ask you first, where do you think that comes from? Like, where do you think that that feels natural to? Cause I kind of have a theory on it. I'm sorry, where the, where the, um, where the ability to tell the truth like that comes from, do you think it just comes from like that place where, you know, you again, like you used to tell tall tales as a kid, or do you think it like, I kind of have a theory that like, it comes from an acceptance of, of our mortality a little bit. Like it's like for me, and maybe it's just my like weird Scorpio sisterness. Like, I'm like, we're all going to die anyway. Like, fuck it. Like tell, like tell people the truth, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. Do you, do you have any kind of like thing that makes you gravitate that way? Or do you think it's just natural to you? You know, it's funny getting to have this conversation with you through this medium of your podcast. It's like, yeah. even though I know so much about you, I'm learning things about you that I'm like, oh, we have that in common too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I've always, I've always told people, it's funny because a lot of people know me as being a very like light, positive person, I think. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I have a pretty deep, dark side to me too. <laughs> um, uh, and I think that that comes from the fact that when I was a little kid, I wasn't raised with a, you know, my, um, my father is an atheist and my mother, I, I don't really know exactly what she is, but I wasn't raised with a very strong, um, like standard religious upbringing. And so uh, when, when you're a kid and you first learn about death and you first understand that life is finite, yeah. uh, very often you're given these comforting narratives, um, whether they're real or not, I'm, I, I, I don't know what I believe in. So this isn't an insult to any particular religion or spiritual belief, but I think when you're a child and you confront death and you're told these narratives about, you know, oh, don't worry, there's this thing after death that you can look forward to. And and then you have these rules and structures that you build your life around. There's a certain comfort in that that I never got to have. Mm. And probably my deepest, (laughs) here I am speaking of being vulnerable, (laughs) my deepest, darkest thing in my personality. (laughs) Yes, bring it. (laughs) I am constantly... Um, consistently aware every day of the fact that I'm going to die and I really love being alive and I don't have a strong, you know, part of the foundation of my spirituality is that there are a lot of things that I've decided that I'm okay to accept not having an answer to. And death is one of them. I, I think that we can have feelings, we can have faith, we can have ideas, 
um, or dreams behind what, what we think, um, death is or what comes after death or whatever, but I haven't had a, I haven't had an answer to it, you know, like no one's come down from the heavens and, and told me what comes after death. So yeah. I think that, that has definitely inspired, um, a desire to live life as fully as possible, sometimes to maybe an imbalanced degree. Like sometimes I need to just relax as you and I have discussed with each other, like, just go to bed, Kate, like just shut up, go to sleep. Yeah. You know? And then I wake up at five in the morning and I'm like, ready, ready to go. Like, don't want to miss out on a minute of sunlight. And it's like, okay. You know, I know girl, you and me both. It, I swear there's, I, we, my little savages out there, I, we, we've called each other, our little soul sisters group forever because we, we do, we have so much in common in our, in our kind of view of the planet and our view of the world. And, and it's so real. And I, I, you know, I actually just did a podcast with my mother, um, which was so interesting. Um, and I think it'll probably come out before this one. I think I can't wait. Um, yeah, but it's about, it's about her, her experience, uh, dying. and that process and what she's learned and what she's, um, what she's let go of and what she thinks happens afterwards. I mean, my mom has been living with stage four cancer for the last five years. She was given, you know, not much time five years ago. And here she is today kind of, um, beating many of the odds and, and yet, you know, she's feeling like she's getting closer and, um, and there's such a beautiful surrender. Um, you know, I I think we have such a fucked up view of death in this society. It's like, we all like, there are two things that are guaranteed. Like you will be born and you will die. Like whether you find love, I don't know whether you create something cool. I don't know whether you eat tomorrow. I don't know, but you're for sure going to die. So why are we all like pretending that it's not a thing? And why are we all so disassociated with it? I think death is an incredible motivator. Yeah. It's either an incredible motivator or it's like a total deteriorator. Right. You know, like it can either swallow you whole in the profundity of its vastness and its un, un- understandability. Ununderstandability. Wow, Alexa. Um, <laughs> love you, Alexa. You're trying your best. Um, or it can be like, wow, this is something that's for sure going to happen. Like, let's savor the moment. Yeah. Let's experience it more fully. And how beautiful that you have created something in your life through your music that is an expression of the present that will withstand the test of time. Well, that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, when I've, when I've gone really dark, there's, there's always this moment of like, well, you know, if the earth is going to blow up at some point anyway, all of this is, you know, even Beethoven's ninth symphony is going to be, you know, on gone with it too. Um, and I think there's something that's both existentially terrifying about that and also kind of weirdly comforting in that, you know, I was just thinking about that this morning in terms of the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah. From Voldemort, like that virus, which shall not be named, but with this whole (laughs) situation that we're in, I think the most overwhelmingly terrifying aspect of it to everyone is just the unknown of it. We don't know when it will end. We don't know if it's going to get worse or better or how or whatever. Um, But in that there's also this kind of strange, it's like forcing you to just accept that, well, there's really nothing I can do, but just keep putting one foot in front of the other and and live my life. And, Oh, wait a minute. Why didn't I think that way before? (laughs) Because 
frankly, whether you die from the coronavirus or getting hit by a car every day that you drive to work or, or, or cancer or anything. Yes. yes. I mean, it's really, life is finite. There's no way around it. There's, yes. I mean, this life, this life that we are living, this paradigm that we this are body. Finite, whatever you believe in about an afterlife or not, there is definitely a finality to this experience, no matter oh what. My God, yeah. I was the theme to my class yesterday was what if everything that life presented you were a choice that you accepted as a choice? Like that there's a level of like resistance is the most exhausting thing on the planet. Like it's just fucking exhausting. So like, rather than being in resistance, like, what if we just accepted, like, this is what it is right now. I can choose how I feel about it. I can evolve through this experience, or I can try to stay the same. It's like all these businesses that are having a hard time, you know, staying afloat. Like I totally, totally get it. This is scary, but like, is there any way to like evolve that business or, or is it time for it to go? Like, you know what I mean? Like I think about all these stores and things that are closed, like, can we start selling online or can we raise funds a different way? Like, are we down to evolve? Like I look at you, Kate, are you still here by the way? Oh, I'm yeah, I'm listening. Okay, cool. Sorry. I just want to make sure. Cause sometimes my recording gets weird. Um, anyway, like look at you and the way that you have shifted. I mean, you, a, you've been doing virtual concerts, which are fucking fantastic. You've taught yourself how to play the piano and sing at the same time. You've also taught yourself guitar through this experience. You've also recorded an entire fucking album. You know that most people take like a year to make an album. Yeah. You did it in like what, two weeks. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Like you have evolved. You accepted that this was the, this was the current situation. And you were like, I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it. I'm going to create something fucking phenomenal with it. It's like, it's, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm off. I'm on one right now, but like Cole, <laughs> it's fine. Cole turns into a diamond through extreme pressure. It doesn't get turned into a diamond by just like being like rubbed gently and like lovingly. Like it takes extreme pressure and it turns into the diamond. We all want to be the diamond, but we're not willing to be under the pressure. Mm-hmm. And you were under the pressure and you created an album, taught yourself two instruments, have been doing virtual concerts, have still been teaching your full course load and then created two, uh, you know, two different workshops on how to write songs, teaching people all over the freaking planet. Like <laughs> you've evolved, babe. <laughs> so I get confused by people that are like, Oh, I'm just like, yes, I get it. I get it. And like, maybe the time is like to stop doing what you're doing. Cause like, if you don't evolve with it, then like, maybe that should go away. Well, yeah. And that's been, oh gosh, there are two, two directions that I would, would take this, but, um, just quickly, there've been a lot of people who have been talking about feeling, feeling triggered or feeling, um, unhappy about those of us who have been kind of <laughs> productive in an extreme way, which I acknowledge that I have been guilty. Well, but that's the thing is, I don't know why one side has to be guilty and the other side not, you know, like, yeah. I don't think you and I are guilty of anything. Like we're just living our lives to the best degree that we can. And we're trying to handle the, you know, existential overwhelm as in, in the way that we, we do and other people are going to handle it differently. And I guess I've, I, I've never really understood why there has to be this like 
I feel like sometimes we live in this culture and I don't want to go on a tangent about this because it's not that important, but we live in this culture of like one side shaming the other side. And actually that, that I could connect that to, to what I was going to say initially with everything you're talking about, um, with adaptation. And one thing that really, I just said adaptation, nailing it, but you actually are nailing it. (laughs) Um, So something that really, my life was completely changed. Um, when I saw, when I met musicians in, um, countries in the world, in places like Africa and the Middle East that have been through unspeakable difficulty. And I, I mean like truly unspeakable and there, I have met people who are far more talented and intelligent and heartful and giving and loving than I will ever be who have endured literal terror, like things that I can't eat my, like I can't even wrap my mind around. And, um, I haven't really known how to handle, you know, we all know that these things exist. We know that it's, it's something that happens in the world, but, but there, there's something about getting intimately close and, and I, I'm sorry, I mean, becoming friends with people, um, who have been through this and, and going to those places and working on something as transcendent as music with them. Yeah. There's something about that experience that it's not just like reading about it in a book or seeing it, you know, and then going back to your hotel at night when you're on vacation. And there's not, that's wonderful that people do that. But I think anyone who's gone and done volunteer work, um, in different parts of the world, probably understands where I'm getting at with this, which is that it just, it, it blows your mind open in a way that's extremely painful. And that's the first time that I felt really vulnerable because when I came back to America after all of it, for the first time, I didn't know. I mean, you saw me then we talked about it right after. I think we talked about it even during it. Sorry. You were changed. Yeah. I mean, how could you not be? And, and then how do you pick up the pieces? How do you go back to like Chipotle and sex in the city and, and all this stuff when you've seen all this other, and for a long time, I think I distracted myself by just, you know, trying to focus on working and driving and seeing my friends and all this stuff. And okay. I focused on, I'm going to be going back there. That's going to be a big part of my life from this point moving forward. And then the quarantine hit and I can't travel. I can't continue to do that work. And it totally, it really destroyed me for a while. The first couple of weeks of quarantine, I didn't tell many people, but I was breaking down every night. And it wasn't because I was so worried about my life falling apart as much as I was thinking about these people who I had become close to, who are now in 10,000, like so much more extreme danger and trouble and misery than I am. And the reason I'm saying all of this is just to say that these people who I've gotten close with, one of the common threads that I've seen in all of them is I don't hear them complaining. I don't hear them whining about how bad they have. And I don't, I I don't mean to be like, we can't complain. We can't feel sorry for ourselves because we're privileged. Like even privileged people have sorrow and pain and like, that's fine. But you know, the hardest working people I've ever met were people that I met in, in those places. And it was, it's because they, there was like a certain, how can I complain about being bored in quarantine? How can I complain about being worried about, you know, the future of higher education in America and how I'm going to continue to have a job or whatever, when I know that there are people who can't even afford to buy a gallon of milk and feed their family because they live in an oppressive country. You know, like, it's just, I feel like now I'm on a tangent, but no, you're not on a tangent. And this is important because this is not bypassing. What this is, is accepting that like you feel what you feel 
but it's also looking at it, it's stimulating gratitude. Right. And that's, I guess that's, that's what all of this did for me in, in a positive way. I've been trying to think for a long time all, and I think a lot of people, particularly those of us who are white in America, yeah. um, you know, when you, when you do finally see and understand your, your privilege, yeah. initially a lot of the feeling is shame, like shame and guilt and then a little bit of resentment and frustration because, you know, we also didn't choose what we were born into. Right. Um, but then I think you get to this point where it's like, well, what can I do about it? And yeah. one of the things that's come to my mind, at least in terms of, um, being in this, in, in, you know, everyone in America, actually pretty much many people in America, um, of many different races and genders and everything are still in a position of immense privilege over so many people in the world who don't get even the freedom to have a passport to travel. Like they right. don't get any of that. And, um, one of the ways that I've discovered that I can handle it positively is to hold myself to a standard that I have to do the best that I can with what I've been given. And that means being grateful for it. And that means giving, that means being empathetic, trying to be communicative, trying to connect and trying to share as much of the freedom and light and joy that I have been so insanely lucky to have in this lifetime with as many people as possible. I feel that that's my duty because I'm not a doctor. I can't go save people's lives. You know what I mean? So I'm taking a moment of pause right here, right now to tell you about Savage. You know, I created Savage Chocolates, not out of a need for more chocolate, but actually out of a need to eat more mindfully. You know, I've struggled with um, eating disorders for most of my life. And really, I think the great healer of all things is presence. The great healer of all things is presence. And that's really why I created Savage is I wanted to teach what I teach on the yoga mat in life. You know, we do our yoga practice or we do our meditation practice and then we get off the mat or the meditation cushion and it all goes right out the window. And especially around things that I think as a culture we've deemed kind of indulgent, we have the ability to check out around. We're just like, okay, cool. Peace out, Cub Scout. I don't need to feel this or um, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling. So this isn't a treat. This is treatment for something that I don't want to feel. And so I created Savage so that we could be reminded that we deserve to receive pleasure. We deserve to feel good and we deserve to eat mindfully because that's actually how we receive the benefits and the beauty of food. It's such a beautiful gift that we generally either deprive ourselves of or eat so quickly that we don't actually get to experience. So this is our reminder, just as through this podcast, may we all pause, breathe, and savor the information that we're taking in with our food. May we pause, breathe, and savor. Remember, just to savor means to make something last. So just as you're savoring this episode, I invite you to savor savage. Because in a world full of chaos, loving yourself is a savage act, right? So... For my beautiful Savage listeners, I'd like to offer you 15% off. You can go to savagelosangeles.com slash shop, just to make it easy, savagelosangeles.com slash shop. And at checkout, just enter the code SAVAGE IN PLACE, like shelter in place, but SAVAGE IN PLACE, and you'll save 15% today. All right, you guys, back to the episode. 
you actually are though, it, not that you're a doctor, but you are saving people's lives in a sense. Well, A, I have some very, you know, fun stories, obviously about you saving people's lives, but I'm not going to get into that because that's a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> totally. But, but we save people's lives, not just on a physical level. You know, there are days where the thing that saves someone's life is listening to someone's song and feeling understood or the day that someone saved our lives was the day that we got on the yoga mat and took a deep breath and knew that it was going to be okay. You know, it's like saving, saving one's life doesn't just look like one thing. Like, I think that the one thing that does unify us all is, is actually art. I think that we all have a great appreciation for beauty. And I think that our, our aptitude and our connection to beautiful things is, is frankly, what sets us apart from most other animals. Yeah. You know, like that's the reverence. Like I can stare at a fresco and, and feel God. Like I can listen to a song and feel God, whatever God is to you, whether it's science, whether it's the universe, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Buddha, whether it's, Oh, whoever, like, I can watch a dancer and be like, that's God. Right. Like that's what moves through us. And like, I think it was Winston Churchill. There was a war going on and the Winston Churchill quote. That's like, we can't, we can't get rid of art. Like what else would we be fighting for? Like, that's what we fight for. Like, this is, this is it. Like, this is why we're here. We're here to experience the beauty. We're here to experience this unifying connection. You know, everyone can listen to a song and weep Mm -hmm. unless you're like a total sociopath. You know, like, no, you're, you're right. And that's such, that's another very interesting thing literally all over the globe is that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a cheesy thing that, that everyone sings in junior high school choir at some point, but, um, getting to see it firsthand has really changed my life that, um, art, I mean, for me, it's been music, but you see it in dance, you see it in, in painting, you see it in acting, yeah. whatever, writing. Yeah. Um, it truly transcends language, culture, religion, you know, it's not, art is actually the great connector. I agree with you. And it's, you know, it's sometimes disheartening to feel that at least in America, that we live in a society where, um, a lot of, I think we've all become accustomed to, to taking the art that we're fed, taking what we're given. Um, and it's, it's disheartening as an artist to see how much of pop culture is now, you know, it's not based in quality so much. Um, and then sometimes it even feels like, you know, a lot of people don't even seem to want quality. And, and I wonder if it's because there isn't enough education and in, in what they could be hearing, what they could be listening to. Completely um, agree. I think we've dumbed ourselves down. And that's not to say I don't like get down to some Ariana Grande sometimes. Like, oh yeah, you know, of course. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like pop music is in many ways like dessert. Like it's not your main course. Like it's something that you get to like enjoy and like zone out to. Cause that's really kind of what it feels like is like a checkout rather than a check in, you know, like listening to music like yours, where you're writing about, you know, the depth of your soul versus, you know, or, or like a Joni Mitchell, you know, like you feel moved, like you move and, and are moved by those by those sounds versus a checkout 
with like an Ariana Grande. And that's not to say she's not talented. I actually think she's quite talented. But But yeah, I agree. Maybe there's, maybe there's, I mean, there's a place for all of us. I just, I hope that, um, and maybe sometimes I think less with music and more with things like TV. I just, I, I think I'm seeing a trend and sometimes I wonder with social media, how much we're just trapped in our echo chambers and, you know, yeah. Because you and I want to see all of this change towards more heart and more depth in the world. Yeah. Um, sometimes I, I worry, like, what if that's just what I'm being fed now on the internet? I don't know. Yeah. But I do like to think that, you know, historically you see periods of great crisis in the world. And um, the one thing that usually comes out of it is that that's usually when there's a renaissance in the arts. That's where the arts flourish. And I think that's because people go through these traumatic collective experiences together and you don't come out of it. um, You don't come out of it the same. And I think that that's maybe the time when people are ready for things that are perhaps a bit deeper and a bit more. um, Yeah. Yeah. Just profound. So that's my hope, you know? Well, and I hope that we give ourselves permission to feel our pain because I think pain is really the birthplace of everything. Like, I, I truly think that pain is the birthplace of a lot of art. I think pain is the birthplace of birth itself. <laughs> you know, like you give birth, it's painful. You know, it's like you die. It's painful. Like that's birth into another realm potentially, or the end of this human experience. Like pain is as a creative place. Um, Alexa, you have to read this. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. No, that's not really, that's, I was just waxing poetic about pain. Please tell me. You have to read this short story by Kurt Vonnegut, who's another one of my teachers. Um, that's called welcome to the monkey house and brief synopsis. Like you really do have to read it. I'm going to remind you about it and bother you about it when later. But, um, the, the premise of it is, is a dystopian society where, um, in order to stop the spread of like an overly large population, um, nobody, people have to take this medication where they, they don't feel any sensation from like the waist down. Whoa. And this one guy kind of goes, you know, he, he goes rogue and he stops taking the medication and then he starts reading poetry to these women who are, it, there's, it's, it's this whole, it's this whole thing. You should read it. It's kind of a, a wacky story, but it's very much what you're talking about. It's like, if you it. don't feel the pain and if you don't feel the, the heartbreak and the longing and the sensuality and all the stuff that comes along with being, being present, um, in our bodies in a sensual way, even. Yeah. Uh, then you can't have anything beautiful. Then life is just like, what's the point in even living? Absolutely. Um, and that ties in, um, God, we're going, we're going there today. That kind of ties in with like substance about looking out. Like you and I love our wine. We love our whatever. Like <laughs> these, but this is the difference is it's like, is it a treat? Yeah. Or is it treatment? Right. You know, like this is a treat. Like this actually makes me feel more into my body. Like this is actually where I like give myself permission to create. This is where I give myself permission to fully feel my experience. There's a reason it's called a spirit. I love that. I didn't think about that. Yeah. It's called a spirit because it helps you get into the spirit of who you are. You know, some people have a glass of wine or actually it's usually not a glass. Usually if they have more than a glass, they, they either become, you know, angry or mean or whatever, or they become really like light and cherishable and like 
kind. It's like, that's, that's like, that's in there, <laughs> you know, like that's what's inside of you. Yeah. Like that's what's alive and well in you. And, and like that spirit is bringing it out. I was just reading, um, crazy brave, which was written by the, um, poet laureate of the United States. Oh, cool. And yeah, it's really cool. And she talks about spirits. She goes, these medicine, these are medicines. And if used correctly, they drop you into your spirit, but if right. it's used incorrectly, they kill your spirit. I mean, I love that. That's what people say about psychedelics and, and plant medicines and all that stuff. None of which I've actually delved into, but I mean, alcohol I have. And yes, of course. And I totally agree with this. I have done my psychedelic experiences many a time and, and continue to not regularly, but I, I do them on a ceremonial basis. I've never done them um, recreationally by any means. Right. Um, but it, through a ceremonial setting, I have definitely experimented with psychedelics and I can see how, if you were just to do them lackadaisically, how it would be a total, A, I don't think it'd be very fun, but cause it's just not like that. Like that medicine's not really like that. But if you were to abuse that, yeah, I mean, it would just totally fry your brain and kill you, but right. to be used in, in an intentional setting as a, as a way to get more intimate with yourself, then man, that's fierce medicine. I mean, and it's so interesting because I think about people like you um, and, you know, my, my recent celebrity crush, Jason Silva. <laughs> yes. He's always talking about Jason Silva. Listen to this episode. Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. Just name drop. Um, <laughs> no, but he's always, ta- he's, he's also the one who earlier I was talking about, who was talking about vulnerability as being a, a desire for connection yes. rather than courage. But um, the reason I'm bringing it up is that there are a lot of people um, in the kind of philosophical and spiritual world that yeah. I respect. There are a lot of people that I that I'm not really into the you know what they're putting out there totally. in terms of you know kind of like spirituality for sale stuff. Um, but a lot of the people who I really respect in the spiritual philosophical world are really into the use of psychedelics, and none of none of you like. You certainly, I know personally, none of you are using them in the same way that I considered people to be using psychedelics when I was in high school or junior high, when everyone was just like, oh, you yeah. know, looking to get high or whatever. And I think that yeah. that's, gosh, that's really an interesting thing that we could go off on for hours someday. Probably we will. Oh, girl, um, we absolutely will. I know. I feel like I've tried to get you to do psychedelics several times and you're well, like, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> My favorite psychedelics is that I have a history of like crazy lucid dreaming and an overactive imagination and like yes. really intense nightmares. And I'm just scared. I, you know, the thing is, I'm scared of it going in a direction that um, there's something scary about once you take it, like it's not going to end until, until, until it leaves your system. Yeah. And um, I know that I probably shouldn't be that afraid of it because I, God knows, I certainly deal with my darkness pretty comfortably at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like a relationship to Kali. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> Alexa, that's a secret. Sorry. Sorry. I'm telling all your secrets, Kate. It's not for me to tell. I admitted my celebrity crush. It's fine. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kate. We can edit that out. We don't have to talk about Kali. Oh no, it's fine. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> but truly, um, but I totally, I totally get that. And, and the thing about psychedelics in my in my opinion, is if it doesn't feel authentic to you, don't fucking do them. 
Right. Right. So that's, that's why I would never, ever like try to push you into it. That's so like, for me, it was one of those things where I had like three people like randoms, like random, like one of them was a, one of them was a yoga teacher of mine. The other two were totally random come up to me after taking my class. And they were like, I don't know why I'm possessed to tell you this, but like, I feel like you should, you should do ayahuasca. I had three separate (laughs) people tell me that. And, And I remember just like sitting with that and being like, interesting. And I like did my research and I, you know, read a lot about it. And, and it was funny because I was actually teaching a yoga retreat in Tulum and I met a shaman on my retreat. Whoa. And that shaman was like, and that shaman was the fourth person to be like, I feel like it's time for you to do medicine. And I was like, okay, I think I got to listen to this. And I ended up staying in Tulum and, and doing medicine there. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, but that was like how that happened. It was like, okay, fourth time's charm, I guess. Like when a fucking medicine shaman comes to you and is like, it's really time for you to do medicine. Right. I, and it felt like a yes to me. You know, it didn't feel like, oh, yikes, I'm up. I think there was definitely a little bit of fear, but it wasn't like, um, it, it didn't feel, m- my readiness to do it over, superseded my fear of doing it. Right, right. So to each their own on that, y'all. Yeah. There. And I mean, I've seen personally how much it um, helped you grow in so many ways. I mean, I wouldn't even want to say it changed your life because you were already um, such a deep, wonderful, light human being. But it felt like after you after you did that for the first time, it it just seemed like there was something that shifted in you um, on a really deep, beautiful level. Kate, thank you. Yeah. Some things you can't forget, you know, you, yeah. just can't, you can't unknow things, right? <laughs> you know, which I know you, it's like your, you know, it's like your trips to all of these profound countries where you've had such an impact. It's like, you can't unknow those people. Right. And that was kind of its own ayahuasca trip. But it's you're way. totally right. I, mean, <laughs> I think that was fierce medicine in itself. Yeah, definitely. That was fierce medicine itself. And how beautiful that you get to share these teachings and you get to help people get back in touch with themselves. Because I think that that, like through the songwriting process, that's so much, it's like you are getting people in touch with their openness. Well, that's been probably the most rewarding thing of all of the teaching work that I've done, whether it's been, you know, here in America at Pepperdine or like out abroad in all these different places or actually even now doing these workshops over Zoom. It's just so crazy to witness over and over and over again um, how common this thread of wanting to, quote unquote, find our voice is even among people who have come to these workshops and who I've worked with, who, who aren't, you know, singers, professional singers. Yeah. It's like, everyone is, is looking for something. And it's, it's funny. It's like, um, that death cab for cutie song, like different names for the same thing. Yes. It's just, it's really fascinating to watch. And it's been really cool over zoom. These workshops, I've had people from, you know, everywhere from India to the middle East, to Africa, to here in America, to Europe, who've all been on these zoom calls with each other, which is 
crazy connection. I've got some of my college students from here, like meeting some, like one of my singers from Africa, who's like literally a celebrity, um, came to one of the workshops and, you know, everyone's all of a sudden connecting with each other. And it's so interesting to watch their faces on zoom and to see people's eyes open a little bit wider when they realize that if you ask someone in Africa to think of a color and an emotion and a feeling and a sensation or whatever, they say things that are not that different from what you're thinking. Like it's, we are really not that different. And it's just really cool to get to witness that, um, that realization in other people too. That universal language that you are spreading is really important, Kate. Thanks lady. You too, man. Thank you. Well, I want to, I, I can't believe it's already been 45 minutes. So I want to hear, uh, where can people find you? Where can we find your album? Where can we find, uh, your teaching? Where can we connect to you and hear more about you? Um, well, I have a website that I have to update. Um, but that the website, actually most of the places that you can find me, it's just under Kate Bass music. Um, bass is like the fish or the instrument if you want to be crazy and, and say bass, but it's Kate Bass music. Um, so my website is katebassmusic.com. You can find all of my albums. Um, you'll be able to find them there. Um, you can also find them all on Bandcamp. I don't have all of my albums up on Spotify um, for a number of reasons, but they're all there. And if you want to, you can follow me about the, I have information about the workshops on my website as well, but there's also probably the easiest way to get in touch is over social media these days. Yes. So, um, my Instagram's Kate, you know, at Kate Bass music and my Facebook is the same at Kate Bass music. So it's pretty, pretty way to keep it, you know, way way to keep it continuity fresh. I'm into it. I mean, that's because there's someone who already has all of the Kate Basses taken. <laughs> you know, there's a Kate Bass. <laughs> I like Kate Bass music anyway. Yeah. I, See, I just want to take a moment to say how much I appreciate you. Thank you for being open. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for telling us your stories. And I just acknowledge you and I love you. Well, I thank you for being open and thank you for being, and you were such an inspiration, not only for me, but for so many people. I mean, you guys, I knew Alexa when she was an actor in New York, thinking that maybe she wanted to start teaching yoga classes. And a year later, she had this empire and talk about teachers. I've never taken a yoga class that I have just wept out of like so many different emotions, like joy and heartbreak and pride and all of this stuff. I just, and now you, you're a speaker having a podcast. You've started this chocolate company. That's all about body. Like you are, you are just a phenomenal human being. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Thank you, sister. I love you so much. Yeah. I love you too. Oh, all right. Y'all have a good one. All right, you guys, thank you so much for carving out the time to listen to this wisdom, to listen to uh, all this goodness. Um, Once again, gentle reminder to please check out savagelosangeles.com to learn more about my new company that I'm so proud of. I hope it inspires you to create and cultivate a life that you dig. Um, And also, if you are down and have, you know, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds, then please, please give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. Super easy. Just give it five stars. Maybe say a few kind words. And if you dug it, please share it with your friends. I would be over the moon with gratitude. Um, All right. 
You guys are the bee's knees. Much love. Stay savage.